the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We live in a fallen world. Its master is Satan himself. But Jesus overcame evil with good, and it is our call to follow in his footsteps. We'll take a look at that call next on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org. This is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we turn our attention to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Jesus overcame evil with good. Now, that is the title of our message today here on Abounding Grace. As we focus in on the love of Jesus and how it overcomes evil, it's our hope and prayer that you are able to follow the example that Jesus has left us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Jesus overcame evil with good. My guess is that by the time we got to the 12th chapter of Romans, there was probably a little sigh of relief because we made it through the difficult chapters on justification and election and the future of Israel and all these somewhat pressing theological questions. Now we have finally come to chapter 12, and we breathe a high, a huge sigh of relief because it's about love and treating each other well. I can tell you, though, for me, I would rather be back in chapter 9. I would rather be back in the thorniest issues of predestination, the future of Israel, justification, and the like. I would rather be back there, but all of that, even if it is mastered without this application here, is worthless, totally worthless. Quite frankly, though, the verses we just read about not having a retaliatory spirit not taking out vengeance on those who injure us, those who do us evil, give them something to eat, give them something to drink. Don't engage with the plots and the schemes of those who are trying to injure you, but you scheme and plot to to do them good. Beloved, those are heavenly beyond anything we can produce in our own strength. Because in these verses, Jesus is calling us to a life of love that is so radical that if we were to truly get on our face and seek his grace to practice this, our family dynamics would change, our congregational dynamics, even though we are a very blessed here with a great deal of peace, they would change. Perhaps even your workplace would change. And it can change because Christ is in us. You're not a loving person. 
I'm not a loving person. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. You are not on your own willing to show mercy, and neither am I. We are much better at pouting, guilt manipulation, making others feel badly for how they injured us. That is what we are good at, particularly as Christians. We're good at this because we have a heightened sense of what other people should be doing, and everyone has promised that they would live this way. And I'm good to them, so why are they not good to me? And then we get all wrapped up in, I'm right, they're wrong. After all, I'm standing for God's opinion here, so if they're resisting me, obviously they are resisting God, and it gets all wrapped up in this ugly but really simple act of pride. Well, Jesus was the only one who was always right. He is the only one who was always perfect, whose motives were always pure, and he let them nail him to a tree. And he said nothing. And when they cursed him and even spit in his face, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So all of the other excuses that we come up with, all the other, well, I'm not respected, or I'm not loved, or I'm not this, and I've used these too, I'm not appreciated, or whatever it may be, this is just all a part of our pride. It's all a part of the Christlessness and selfishness that clings to us like old, moldy grave clothes. But God didn't leave us there. He sent his son into the world to deliver us from hate, selfishness, and the tyranny of wounded pride. Jesus came to deliver us from all these things and to set up within us a kingdom, not of words like, hey, I love you, brother, but then say, did you hear what so-and-so did? No, Christ set up a kingdom of power, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of renewal, new life, new power to do as he did, to lay down our life and die to self. He begins in verse 17 here with what we will look at today, not repaying evil for evil to no man, never, ever, ever, ever. Now, obviously, if someone punches us in the nose, what are we being told here is we are not to retaliate and punch them back. But it's a lot more subtle than this. Because as believers, our payback is much more subtle. It often wears a sanctimonious garb. The husband doesn't feel like his wife really loves him, so he plays the martyr and the victim, and he starts withdrawing from his wife emotionally. And then his wife is, how dare you? And she withholds conjugal affections, or she pouts, or gives him cold glances, or whatever it may be. And the children are watching this at a distance. They know there is tension. There's no way to hide it. There is never any way to hide this. But they don't understand it. So it creates with them anxiety. And they learn to disrespect their parents by watching their parents disrespect each other. 
And then the children are spanked for disrespecting their parents when, if there was true equity, the parents would bend over and let the children spank them for setting the bad example. Because as Thomas Manton said, usually, not always, but usually, it is bad parenting that makes bad children. Again, not always, but usually. So, we are not to repay this kind of domestic ugliness that I've just described as repeated in many millions of homes every day in our land. Even in some professedly, professedly Christian homes. And we wonder, why is discontent and infidelity and divorce a blight upon our nation? We wonder why are Christian marriages don't look like the conferences and the books, but it's because of fiasco of our pride. It is the fiasco of you did not meet my needs, so I'm not going to let you, I, so I'm going to let you have it. And it may not be with a sense of vengefulness or cursing, but I'll tell you, We're really good at doing it with pouting, with emotions, with the payback, with the guilt trips. And we even do it on the internet, don't we? You dare to oppose my opinion? You mean you're not going to let me parade my vanity and pontificate my opinions without any consequences? If you say anything against me, I'll show you. I'm going to click the unfriend button, so there. We do this in a million silly ways. But if we do these things, we have fallen into the world's spirit of, I'm God, bow to me. Don't cross me. Don't dare oppose my whims because I am mighty me. And if you want to be my friend, then you're going to support what I want to do. Now, we wouldn't state it this boldly. But this is what the spirit of repay evil for evil is. I'm judge, I'm jury, and executioner. You have offended me. Bang, the gavel falls. Bang, the guillotine falls. Bang, I'm taking care of this problem myself. Now, Paul is probably thinking, first of all, here in verse 17, about your attitudes and responses to ungodly men who ridicule us or persecute us, or steal from us, or whatever it may be that they do to us. And he says that in return for their foul treatment, we are to repay them with a lawsuit, right? No, he says in return for their foul treatment, we are to form our own political action committees and go to war against them. No, he says in return for their foul treatment, we are to show kindness meekness and love we are not to repay evil for evil now of course we learn how to do this first where we learn it as children in our homes and in our marriages and then even in our congregations and if we're acting like petty gods here then how in the world are we going to testify to our Savior's love and forbearance and meekness and gentleness and tenderness to the world. We're going to have to look unto Jesus more than we do, it says in Hebrews 12.1. 
When was he reviled? 1 Peter 2.23, he did not revile, but committed his soul to his father who judged righteously. When he was rejected, he continued to feed others. He continued to clothe. He continued to preach the truth. He always committed his defense to his father. And when everyone forsook him, he had his moment to escape. But did he run and say, I'll show all of you. His disciples slept when they should have been praying. All of his friends had literally abandoned him. Yet he stood firmly and said, I am. And all the soldiers fell back. Why? I mean, this was the perfect time for him to retaliate. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. If these 12 are the best there are, and this is how they have treated me, then... No, what did he do? He laid down his life on the cross for us. He saved us by his submission. He saved us by his tenderness, his gentleness, his meekness before his Father's will. And he left us an example that we are to follow, which is what? Love and meekness, and even when we are tormented by our enemies. And he will help us. All we have to do is ask. Turn with me to Matthew 7, 7. I want to point something out very important about some well-known verses here that are often separated from their context and therefore they're robbed of their fuller power. Notice in verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find Knock, and it will be open unto you. Okay, but Lord, are you just saying that out, in the, uh, out of the blue? Okay, but Lord, please, how are we supposed to handle this? Let's begin with verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgments you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote, the speck that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? And how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in, mine, in thine own eye, thou hypocrite? First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now what is Jesus talking about here? The way we are to relate to one another, the way we are to forbear judging, the way we are not to get out a chainsaw to help our brother overcome the speck that is in his eye, Because those who wield chainsaws but have telephone poles hanging out of their own eyes are not going to be very accurate, are they? And then he says in verse 6, but you've also got to distinguish between dogs and swine, those who are hardened rebels against God's truth, because there may be a time to just rebuke them and let them then go on their way and let God deal with it but how in the world can we live in harmonious wise relationships when there are so many opinions 
when there's so much hurt feelings and grudges and taking offenses against other people and putting them in boxes. Well, this is the way they are, so everything they do to us ever again will be fit within this box. See, I knew you would do that. I I knew you would say that. I knew that's the way you would be. How can we escape these things? Verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. In other words, what the Lord is telling us here is that if we want to have love in our relationships, forbearance and meekness and gentleness, and to have the strength not to take up an offense for ourselves or others, is then not to have our first thought be self-justification. Where do we get this from? That's my first response. I've got to defend myself. I know I did the right thing here. No. Ask God for humility. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for grace to see ourselves as we really are. But don't just ask. Seek like a man who was looking for treasure. It's not just something that we passively say, Hey God, would you help me love my wife better? Would you help me love my husband better? And we pray it 10 times or 50 times or 5,000 times. But we never do it with earnestness. It's not like Elijah's prayer where he prayed fervently with great energy and zeal like a child saying, Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. Daddy, help me. Daddy, help me. We must pray like that. That is seeking, then knocking, is just pounding on the door of heaven. Lord, give me love, give me grace, give me humility, give me strength to die to myself and my relations with my brothers because unless you give me strength, I will merely make a mess of every relationship that I touch. Men, this is the way we are to pray, to love our wives We need to be asking. We need to be seeking. Seeking wisdom. Seeking God. Seeking grace. And we need to be knocking. Pounding down the door of heaven. Give God no rest until he comes and rains down righteousness upon us. And peace and love. Because that is what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. He is the conduit of grace and of love and of mercy. And he says, I'm going to share with you my fullness. But if you just sit there on your hands and wait for lightning to strike in a bottle, I'm not going to give it to you. You've got to take me at my word. You've got to believe that I am and that I'm the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Diligently, beloved, not passively. Not, well, I prayed for that five years ago and I didn't get it. Or I prayed for five years and I didn't get it. So pray five more. Pray ten more, twenty more. Because even if you don't get it, you get God and you fellowship with Him. And that's more important than getting even what I think I need. Because I want Him I want to have life with him and joy with my Father in heaven. 
Now back to verse 17. He had something here very important. After saying we're not to pay back evil for evil, he says, provide, provide things honest in the sight of all men. This is actually an unfortunate translation because the word provide here means to think beforehand, to plan beforehand. So it is really a very close follow-up to the first half of verse 17. So let me translate it with an explanation. Instead of, when we think about repaying evil for evil, instead of, okay, I'm going to see that person again tomorrow, so let me get out my mental bucket and think of all the offenses and get all teary-eyed. I can't believe they did that to me, and I get frustrated. And then when I'm with them, it's all just a muddle. Instead of that, Jesus says, do you want to overcome your retaliatory spirit? Do you want to overcome this? I'm going to get you. You did something to me. I'm going to do something to you. Do you want to overcome that? Then you think ahead of time. Make mental preparation ahead of time. How can you bless those who curse you? How can you do good to those who maybe at some level oppose you? You've got to think about it ahead of time. This is where we lose many of our relationship battles. You know, we're on our way home after a hard day at work, men, and you think, oh man, my wife did that to me last night. I had to forget about it during the day, but man, I've turned back on the burner and I'm boiling about it again. But my wife does the same thing. No, no, no. We turn off the burner. We die to self. We crucify self on the altar of God's mercy. Not you, O Lord, but me. And we think ahead of time. My wife has really got something against me here. So I need to go in, and the first thing I need to do, because I'm thinking about this ahead of time, is I need to provide good here. So the very first thing I need to communicate to my wife, particularly if I was truly in the wrong, say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I love you, and I need to make this right. Not, well, I'm so embarrassed by what I did, that I don't want to say anything. And if I don't, maybe she'll make the first step to me, and then I don't have to deal with it. You see, we're fools. If we don't deal with the sins we commit, and if we don't deal with the issues in our marriages and parent-child relations, what do you think is going to happen? That the issues will just go away? No, they just get pushed deeper and deeper into the cellular DNA of our spiritual walk with God, of our relationship with others, and the hurts just get deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like a person I know who remembered something someone had done to them 43 years ago with all the freshness as if it had just happened five minutes ago. Why? Because they didn't think ahead of time how to do this person good how to bless this person and love this person. God forgives us, right? 
I, even I, am he who blots out your sins? So obviously what is being said here is that we are to seek grace to do the same thing, to forgive and to forget. This is the way Jesus did it. His crucifiers did not ask his forgiveness, but he forgave them anyway. And there is a rather curious doctrine of forgiveness going around, and I have to admit, I used to hold to this, that unless a person asks, you don't have to forgive. Well, if they grovel to me, then I'll mother something about mercy toward them. But we see an example of our Lord Jesus here. And even if others don't come on their own, like perhaps they should, and ask for forgiveness, the default spirit of our heart should be, I do forgive. I don't hold this against them. Why? Because remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13, neither will your father forgive you if you do not from the heart forgive those who sin against you. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.